0: Well, we are in part four of this series, Be the Best You, and we are talking today about how to make a fortune, and you might be thinking, okay, it's church, they're probably just mean like in the spiritual realm, and that is true, but that's not all. We're actually talking about a principle today that does work if you want to make a fortune in this world with good old-fashioned dollars or gold or whatever else you're into. The other night, my son Jack, he's eight, he was laying there, falling asleep, and he tends to ask me these deep questions about life at bedtime. And Jack said, "Uh, Dad, how do you get rich? And I thought, you know, Jack, uh, if you hadn't noticed, I'm a pastor. (laughs) So you might be asking the wrong person. But, you know, when I was a journalist, I did interview a lot of people who had a lot of earthly wealth, and I did learn a thing or two in that time. And so I told Jack a little of the Things I had observed about, you know, uh, going to school, working hard, getting a good job, saving up money. And then, of course, we talked about what are riches really? What are the kind of riches that fulfill and what are the kind that you leave behind when you leave this world? But I want to answer Jack's question for you today. And I think the question that we're really asking, if we're honest, is this How do you get the future that you desire? How do you get the future you desire? Because Jack, at age eight, you know, sometimes when we drive into Indianapolis, he'll see these giant mansions that sit far back and have multiple garages and gates. And in his mind right now, that's what being rich is. But really, he doesn't know as an eight-year-old that as he gets older, he'll experience that when you get the one car that you think will make you happy, then it's not too long till you need a different one and a different one, and that it's the same with houses, and someday he'll be wise enough and old enough to realize that what he's really asking is this, how do you get the future that you really desire? I want to share with you today a principle that will help you get the future you desire, but it's a principle that, uh, it's going to sound simple, and whether or not it works in your life all has to do with whether or not you apply it. And I'll give you an example of that. When I was in my early 20s, I had just started my career as a newspaper reporter, and I was living in Scottsdale, Arizona. I got my first job, so I got my first house there in Scottsdale. And uh, the housing economy at the time, the real estate market was booming, and especially in that area, home values were going up sometimes by 10 or $20,000 a month. So after a couple years, this house had literally doubled in its value, and I had a... Report that day where I needed to go in and interview this real estate tycoon. This is a guy who was worth about $990 million from buying and selling real estate. He had started with some little condos after a market crash and worked his way up to shopping markets and uh, apartment complexes, all sorts of real estate. And I'm in this guy's office, very eccentric guy. He's got, you know, castle doors from Italy. He's got a literal gold-plated toilet. He's got expensive artwork and pianos and all sorts of shows of wealth around his office. And he looked across his desk and he said, John, do you own a house? I said, yeah, I've got one over in Scottsdale. He said, you should sell it now. I said, what do you mean? Home values are going up like 10 or $20,000 every month. It keeps gaining value. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, I've seen this before, and especially out here in Arizona, the market will get really hot, and then eventually it'll go the other way. And I'm just telling you, if you want to make some good money here in your early 20s, you should sell your house now. Well, I finished the interview with him, went back to my normal life, and I completely agreed with him. He clearly had the credentials. He knew what he was talking about. But here's what happened. I got busy with life. And I looked around and I thought, okay, I could sell the house, but then I'd still have to live somewhere. And I looked at how much rent was. It was the same as the mortgage payment. And I thought, ah, eh, he's probably right that the market will go down. He knows what he's talking about. But it's surely not going to go all the way back down to what I paid for it. Well, the year, if you know your economic history, the year was 2006 when he told me this. And in the year 2007, there was this big event called the Great Recession where the housing market collapsed and the stock market collapsed, and particularly in areas like Phoenix, Arizona, housing values had literally tripled, and almost overnight, they went all the way back down. And what happened is I had agreed with him, but I didn't act on what he said, and as a result, I missed out on, in my early 20s, what would have been a huge windfall if I had just sold that house when he said to sell it. Now, what you're about to learn in a similar way, you're gonna say, yeah, I agree with that. That's, that's simple, that makes sense. That is how you make a fortune. Here's the question for you. Are you gonna act on it or not? So let's see Jesus answer to this question. We're gonna dive right into the answer. I'll give you the principle, and then we'll go back through the story and pull out some more ideas. But here's the verse that we're gonna learn from today. Jesus says in John 4, verse 37... Here's a saying you all know, or thus the saying. One sows, this is talking about planting seeds and crops, and another reaps, or harvests the crop. And Jesus says, we all know this is true. And Jesus here is referring to a principle that's all throughout scripture called sowing and reaping. In other words, you plant the seeds for the fruit that you wanna get. And if you don't plant any seeds, then you won't get any fruit, If you plant sporadically, haphazardly, randomly, you'll get sporadic, random haphazard fruit. But if you plant very consistent seeds, it takes time, but eventually you will get a harvest of fruit. And this works in saving for retirement. This works in building a relationship with your kids. This works in every domain of life. And here's the principle of sowing and reaping and how you can apply it to make yourself a fortune in any domain you choose. Today's decisions determine tomorrow's treasures. Today's decisions in your marriage, in your parenting, in your career, if you're a student and you're studying, in your finances, in every area of life, and it also applies spiritually, today's decisions determine tomorrow's treasures. This is one of these truths that You don't even have to be a Christian yet or a follower of Jesus to utilize this truth in your life. We've been learning in this series that the same God who made you, the God who wrote us a love letter of instruction that we call the Bible, he created everything in the world and the truths that are in this book that refer to your soul and eternal life, they also refer to the physical, tangible world. So the same God who made you with a soul, which will continue to live after you breathe your last breath on earth, that same God is the God who designed seeds to go down into the soil, and if they get enough water and enough nutrients in the soil and enough sunlight, they will start to grow roots and they will grow up and bear fruit. That same God who made the natural order made the spiritual order. And many of the truths of scripture, all truth is God's truth, they work in the physical world and in the spiritual world. So no matter where you are in your journey, you can take this into your career, into your studying, into your family, and you can benefit from it. Now my heart for you today is that you'll benefit from it not only in the physical world, but in the much more important world of relationships and of eternity. Let's take just a second right now and think about your own life. What is it that you seek in the future? 15 years from now or 30 years from now, where do you want to be in your career, in your finances, in your relationship with your spouse or your children or your grandchildren? Start with that end in mind and then you think, and as a believer, you ask God, what are the seeds that I need to plant now so that that fruit will be there in 15 years Or in 30 years. Well, let's dig a little deeper. I just want you to get this idea of sowing and reaping. Here's another example of it in scripture. Galatians 6 verse 7 says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man, and the idea here is just a person, a man or a woman, reaps what he sows. So in other words, if you live a a number of years in a row where you're just kind of doing whatever feels good. You're not having any self-discipline about work or preparing for your career, then when you get to the stage of being in your career, you're not suddenly magically going to have a great career. Jesus is essentially saying this principle is a principle of the universe. It works. And if you want to reap a harvest in any area, you've got to be faithful in planting those seeds. Verse 9 of Galatians 6 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good. If you've ever actually planted seeds, I worked on an apple orchard and a farm in my high school and college summers. And planting is the hardest time uh, because it's often, it just seems kind of boring and dry and dull compared to the harvest time. But when you're planting, it's normal to become weary and doing good. In other words, you're planting a strong relationship with your child, or you're planting by Spending less than you make and saving a little bit every month. And it gets toilsome, it gets wearying, it gets boring. And God says, don't get weary in doing what's good, whether it's in the spiritual realm or in the planning a head realm, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is a, a good story for all of the parents who've had to change diapers this week. Or who've had to uh, clean up a bed of someone who wet the bed in the middle of the night? Uh, we keep loving our kids and we keep uh, planting in them the seeds of love and of character and of discipline and of God's truth, and in due season, we will reap if we faint not. Well, I don't know when you thought about what do you want for your future, what domain it was in, but I want to just give you a few little connections here. If you were thinking in the financial domain. I want you to know about some free classes that we have here called Financial Peace University. And Financial Peace University uh, is an opportunity for you if maybe your thought was, I don't, even know, I don't think I could ever get ahead financially because I'm in so much debt. This is a class that will help you get out of debt. Or if you're in a place where you think, man, every month it just seems like we know we should be saving or we know we should be giving, but every month we just come up short We don't, you know, we haven't really figured out how to live on what we make. This is a class that will help you, one, get out of debt, two, actually live on a budget, and three, start setting aside for your future. So we offer these as a gift to our community and as a gift to you. If that's something that would help you make the fortune or get the future you want, go to connectionpoint.org slash financial classes. Maybe the area you were thinking about was your family, And if that's you, I want to encourage you in this series, two weeks from now, we're going to be specifically talking about in your relationships, how do you plant seeds so that when your kids grow up, they actually want to have a relationship with you and talk to you? How do you plant seeds so that your grandkids actually like to be in your presence? How do you plant seeds so that when the kids leave for college and it's an empty nest, you don't look at your spouse and say, who are you and why are we living in the same house, but you actually know each other, love each other, have a deep relationship, that's two weeks from today. Next week, for many of you, the seed you need to keep watering and nurturing is that you've started to believe in Jesus. On Easter Sunday, you were born again. And next weekend, we have for you our baptism weekend. And this is a weekend where whether or not you choose to actually be baptized, I hope you will, we're not going to be shaming or guilting you. It's going to be a big celebration and it's an opportunity for you to make sure that your story turns the corner here. Some people start to believe in Jesus, but they don't really turn the corner. They don't make it official. They don't go public with their faith and that little seedling never fully takes root. And so next week we'll be talking about in your spiritual life, in your story, how to make sure you keep watering that seed and keep weeding around it so that no weeds choke out the work of God that God is doing in your heart and life. All right, today's decisions determine tomorrow's treasures. Everybody got it? All right, now let's go a little bit deeper and get some more meat out of this story. We're in John chapter 4, and if you were here last week, you might remember that it was the story of the woman at the well. Jesus approached this big outdoor well, and his disciples were hungry, so they leave to get some food, and Jesus encounters this woman who's of a different race and a different culture, and at a time when men and women, culturally, it wasn't the right thing, but it's the way the culture was, didn't talk to each other in public. And Jesus and this woman end up having a deep discussion about fulfillment and desires and life. And she's at the well to get physical water, but Jesus is able to tap into her deeper thirsts and hungers and explain that he is God among us, he's Messiah, and that true fulfillment is only found in him. And you might remember she starts to believe, and we're going to pick the story up here in verse 27 of John 4. The disciples who had gone to Taco Bell or somewhere to get some food, the disciples return with beef supreme chalupas in hand, And they're surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman, but no one asks him, what do you want or why are you talking with a woman? Now, I just wanted to mention quickly how unique this was that Jesus was talking with a woman. When I first started to really study the Bible at a deep level, I was still working as a journalist, as a reporter, and I started going to seminary, working on a master's degree, almost from a critic's or a skeptic's point of view. Uh, And it was over time as I studied scripture that I became convinced this book actually is the word of the one true God written to us and it gives us life and hope and purpose. But one of my first studies I did was about women in the church and women throughout history and how Jesus treated women. So I spent a semester reading how all the cultures around Jesus treated women. So the three dominant cultures at this time were Roman culture, Greek culture, and Jewish culture. And you could do this for yourself if you're as nerdy as I am or if you're bored. You can look up first century writings from those cultures, and you can sort through those writings and search for occurrences of how women were treated and what the social norms were. And here were the social norms at the time. It's not right, but this is how it was. Women in many of those cultures were not allowed to own property. Women were not allowed to testify in court. Women in many of those cultures could not even receive an inheritance. If their parents had a lot of money, it would go to their brothers. Women often didn't get to decide who they would marry. They would be betrothed. Some man would decide who they would marry, and often the dad would decide by who the highest bidder was, who would give the biggest endowment or gift to the dad. This was a culture very foreign to us, thankfully, where there was pretty much no women's rights. A lot of women were bought and sold as slaves. And into this culture where a respected teacher like Jesus would never talk to a woman in public, Jesus ignored and broke the social norms. And the reason he did that is because that as God among us, he modeled and explained that all people are created in the image of God, regardless of gender or race or background or even their religious belief. God loves all people equally and God loves all people enough to go to the cross and die for them. And so that's why this was a little surprising to the disciples that Jesus is talking with a woman. Now, I also wanted to point out to you that this conversation happened, we're told in the John chapter 4, at Jacob's Well. Jacob's Well is a real geographic place that you can go to and visit today. Uh, here's a sign at Jacob's Well if you go over to Israel to visit it. The exact same well is still there. Now, two or three hundred years after Jesus, some Christians built a little sepulcher around it they've done this throughout the middle east to preserve these sites so it's indoors now it would have been outdoors at that time but that is the well that's the very place where this story took place between jesus and this woman who was not only of a different gender at that time but also of a different race she was a samaritan woman now verse 28 tells us that leaving her jar so remember the disciples come back with taco bell and leaving her jar The woman goes back to her town, the Samaritan village, to tell everyone, I think I've met the Messiah. Come see this guy who told me everything I ever did. Could it be the Messiah? So she's at a point in her faith where she's encountered Jesus' power. She thinks she believes. She's still not totally sure, but she's excited. And one of the things I love about this story is she starts inviting other people. And I've heard about this here in our church family here in recent months that there have been people who've come and they've started to encounter jesus and they're like i think i believe and they're already inviting their neighbors and their coworkers. i want to encourage you if you're doing that keep doing that that's exactly what this woman does she immediately invites everyone she knows to come and see is this true could this be the real deal another thing that stuck out to me as i was studying this verse is that she leaves her water jar now to us that might not seem like a big deal because we can go to Walmart or Target or Meyer and buy a made-in-China plastic water jug for hardly anything. But at this time, plastic had not yet been invented, and water jars that would actually hold water and would be light enough to carry around were very valuable. And for her, this going to the well, in a society where there's not running water inside your home, there's no faucets, this is kind of the, the big pinnacle of her day is to go and get this water. And it's really interesting that John the writer notes that she left her water jar. Because what this says to me is she showed up to that well thinking that this would be the vehicle of her gratification, right? She had a physical thirst and she brought with her a vehicle that she thought would gratify her thirst. And part of what Jesus explains to her is that every physical thirst in our lives, whenever we quench it, it comes back. Every time you drink, you get thirsty again eventually. That's why I've got a water bottle up here today. Every time you eat, you get hungry again eventually. This is why restaurants are in business. They know that as long as humans are alive, they will be eating. And you could eat the best Thanksgiving dinner, the best meal, or have the the most satisfying drink, but the next day you're going to be hungry again, you're going to be thirsty again. And Jesus explains to her that it's the same with success. It's the same with physical wealth. It's the same with physical pleasure and sexual pleasure. Every desire that we have in our physical bodies, when we quench that desire, it comes back again. And it comes back again. And it comes back again. And Jesus had explained to her that her soul living inside her has deeper desires that only God can fulfill. And when she encounters the living water of Jesus, she's so fulfilled that she completely forgets about the vehicle of her physical gratification. So she runs back up and she gathers her village. And verse 30 says, They came out of the town and made their way toward him. One translation says, streaming toward him. It's like this line of people. And now we have this little parenthesis in the story because the disciples want to talk about Taco Bell. The disciples want to talk about food. So verse 31 The disciples urged him, teacher, eat something. We all went to get food. We brought some back for you. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now, as often happens with Jesus, he's looking at a higher level. He's looking at a spiritual level of reality. And the disciples are functioning at the stomach level. Okay? And so even when Jesus says this, they still say, well, uh, you know, did someone else bring you food, verse 33? If you're not hungry, someone else must have brought you food. And then Jesus clarifies here in verse 34. He says this, my food or my nourishment, what satisfies me, what gives me power and strength every day is to do the will or the desire of him who sent me, that's God the Father, and to finish his work. Well, What is his work? What's God the Father's work? It's very simple. It's to connect people who are far from God back to God. That's his work. When Satan came in the Garden of Eden, he split humanity away. God's work right now is to connect you and the people you love and know back to God. And so Jesus, when he was on earth, every day when he woke up, his first thought wasn't, what do I get for breakfast or where's my coffee? That's honestly my first thought. Where's my coffee? But Jesus' first thought every day and throughout the day was, God, who are the people that you want to connect back to you today? Father, who are the people you've sent me to connect back to you today? And he says, this is what nourishes me. This is what fulfills at the deepest level. And you should know that God has work for you like this. You know, Jesus says, I came to finish the work. And it's this same word, finish, that Jesus is going to use couple years from this story when he's on the cross dying for the sins of the world and as he absorbs the punishment for all your mistakes and mine willingly so he can connect all of us back to god he says at the end it is finished so jesus didn't end up on the cross by mistake or randomly that's the whole purpose he came was to sow seeds of redemption and restoration and to bring us back to god But you need to know as a follower of Christ that just like God the Father had a plan for Jesus, he has a plan for you now as a follower of Jesus. And every day that you wake up on planet earth and you're still breathing oxygen here on earth, God has work for you to do and it's fulfilling work. In fact, Ephesians 2 verse 10 puts it this way. It says that you who are a follower of Christ, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for you to do in other words before you were born even before your mom and dad were born god already knew you in his mind he created you as an idea first before you became a physical reality and he had a plan for your life and he gives you a free will you can pick if you want his plan or not but if you choose his will and his ways and his plan then he has this this very specific course of good works that are prepared for you to do. And he's got specific good works for me to do that no one else can do. Sometimes we look at heroes of the faith like Billy Graham or the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. And we look at them and we say, I could never do what they did. God had specific good works for them, but here's the thing, they could never do what God has called you to do. God has good works. God has co-workers that he loves, that he wants to reach through you. He has loved ones in your life, children, relatives, neighbors, friends from your hobbies or from sports. He has people that he wants to connect back to him. And he has good works that are prepared for you to connect those people to Jesus. And Billy Graham couldn't do that. Martin Luther King couldn't do that. only you can reach the people who are in your Life. And so Jesus essentially, while the disciples are thinking about food, lifts their eyes and says, there's a higher, there's an asset class that will never depreciate. There's an investment opportunity in a market that will never crash, and that is people. God describes throughout scripture that this world as we know it is passing away. And one day, everything physical in this world, he's going to melt down and create a new heaven and a new earth. And at that point, any investment in gold or stock or real estate will become worthless. Actually, when you breathe your last breath on earth, it becomes worthless to you. Anyways, but at that point, every soul that you encounter, no matter their race or their beliefs or their gender or any other way that humans might classify them, every soul is eternal. And every soul is an eternal opportunity for investment. And so Jesus is lifting the disciples up He's lifting their eyes up to see at a higher level. I want to tell you an inspiring story about this that I heard this last week. I heard about a widow who recently moved to the Brownsburg area. And she's a young mom. She's got two young elementary-aged kids. And when she moved in, the family next door came over right away. And they said, hey, here's a 3 by 5 card with all our info. Here's our dog's name. Here's our email addresses. Here's our cell phone numbers. If you ever need anything, let us know. And these neighbors got to know her. And as they got to know her story as a widow, it was Christmas time coming up, this was just this last Christmas, and the dad of the neighboring family said, um, hey, would you like us to put up Christmas lights for you? Well, little did they know, she had been secretly longing for Christmas lights to be up, to restore some normalcy for the kids. But she didn't even know where the Christmas lights were and the move and you know, putting them all up outside. Well, this neighbor guy comes over. He says, we'd love to do that for you if it's something you want. meant the world to her. Then he comes back. After a few more weeks of building the relationship, he said, hey, in February, there's this big father-daughter dance here in Brownsburg, and I'll be taking my daughter and my niece, and we've bought an extra ticket. There's no pressure, but if your daughter would want to go with us, we'd love to take her. And they did, and it started this relationship of a neighbor just genuinely loving this widow and her kids. And I heard the story, and as the story's going on, I'm thinking one thing. These are connection point people. I know they are, because we're not all perfect, we're messed up, we have bad breath, we have body odor, but I just know this theme. I've met enough connection point people to know this is the kind of stuff my people do. This is the kind of stuff our people do. And sure enough, the story gets to the very end, and the person who's telling me the story says, and then as I'm coming to church here, I found out that family is part of this church. I said, yeah, that's, that's the kind of people we are because we understand that it's people who matter. People are the eternal investment. People are the one thing you can invest in that will never lose value, that will never be stripped away from you. You know, I heard this last week about a gifted musician, a guy named Avicii was his name as a musician. He was 28 years old. And sadly, he overdosed and died this last week. Avicii, between the ages of 18 and 28, made $85 million. So, I mean, I was talking earlier about me in my early 20s maybe making $100,000. This guy made 20—I mean, $85 million by the time he's age 28. But he became so addicted to drugs and just a drug and alcohol lifestyle that sadly, I mean, incredible musical gift that this guy had. And sadly died just two days ago and I thought I was kind of grieving it because I've enjoyed some of his work that he's done and I you know what a tragedy so much hope so much life so much promise and I thought you know every day there's people who are worth 85 million dollars who die just a lot of them aren't 28 a lot of them are 78 or 88 and they die in Naples Florida or in Scottsdale Arizona or all around the world and here's something that I've seen when you're laying in a hospital bed dying and you can't even get out of that bed and walk to the bathroom, in that moment, it doesn't matter if you own ranches and farms and companies and apartment buildings, or if you live in a one-bedroom apartment that you rent. In that moment, none of that matters because you literally can't go out and touch or enjoy any of the things that you own, and it's just as true when they breathe that final breath. When we breathe that final breath, we'll leave it all behind. I heard a story from an attorney friend the other day. He was doing a will or an estate for someone, and the person passed away, and one of his friends said, well, how much did he leave behind? And the attorney said, everything. <laughs> you, you leave everything. You know, there's, and, and here's what Jesus is teaching the disciples and us. This principle of sowing and reaping, you want to make a fortune in this life, you can use it, and you can, make, you can provide for yourself. Do it, it's good, okay? But Jesus is saying there's a higher economy And you can invest in an asset class that when you open your eyes in the next life will have gone ahead of you and is already paying dividends. And there's only one asset class that does that and it's people. And we invest in them through our love, through our time, and through our resources. So let's return to this story because here's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. He says, don't you have a saying in verse 35, it's still four months until harvest. In other words, We've planted the seeds, but the seeds aren't yet bearing fruit, so we just have to wait. And Jesus says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. In other words, disciples, the harvest is souls. The harvest is people. As almighty God, that's the one asset that I care about. That's my most valuable possession. And you guys are thinking about your soft tacos and you're missing out. This woman at the well who you thought was a despised social class, she means the world to me. She's eternally valuable. And not only that, she's gone to tell her whole village about God and the village is streaming down here and you guys are thinking about food when there's a harvest, there's a market opportunity right in front of you if you'll act on it. Now as I was studying this last week, I stumbled on something that I had never seen before in this text and maybe it's new to you as well. I was thinking about this Samaritan woman. I thought, I wonder if the Samaritans still exist because they are an actual ethnic people group. So I started to research this and I found out Samaritans do still exist and here's what they look like, okay? You could go to Israel or Palestine today. These are not actors pretending to be Samaritans. These are actual ethnic, you can take a DNA test, they are Samaritans, just like there are Jewish people and other races and and genealogies. These are the same Samaritans that this woman was. And as I saw that they're all wearing white, I started to research, and that's something they've been doing for a long time. So when Jesus, he's standing outside, remember, and it's a field, and there's a village, and the woman goes and tells the village, and they all start streaming toward him, just like this, in a big stream of white. And the disciples are thinking about their bellies. And Jesus is thinking about a harvest, and he looks up at this field that is empty of physical crops, but he sees this white stream coming across, and he says in verse 35, I tell you, open your eyes. The fields are ripe, and if you have an older translation of scripture, it says white, because it means this not in the racial sense, but literally this word, the Greek word is leukos it's where we get our word look, and it means bright white. So the crops, which would become white at the top, and when you looked at a field and it was all white, it was ready for harvest, Jesus looks and these people dressed in white are marching across the field toward him and he says, look guys, harvest. The harvest is people. And the harvesters, the workers in God's kingdom, are those of us who will acknowledge that life is not just about getting more stuff, it's about connecting people to God. And Jesus then says this to the disciples he's essentially saying do you see what's happening do you see what's going on do you see that there's a harvest right now and the question just like me with that real estate tycoon at the beginning of our message who said sell your house now you could make a lot of money the question for you and me is will we see the harvest of souls that is around us right now i want to encourage you that god has been doing a harvest work through our efforts combined here at connection point between people checking their kids in and filling out response cards and other data points we know of 1200 it's 1200 people who are newly part of our movement here from christmas until now so that's within about four months over 1000 people now some of you maybe in the past you've attended a church of four or 500 and you have a idea what that size is when I first left journalism the first church I went to was 40 people and we worked really hard for five or six years and after about six years it was up to about five or six hundred people took six years of work to reach that many people and I was looking at these reports and looking at we have 1200 new engaged people in four months that's two of those churches in four months And I realized, I had a Taco Bell moment, like Jesus and the disciples here, where I realized there's a harvest happening right now. God's doing a harvest right now, and he's doing it because you guys are inviting, and you're loving, and you're welcoming people in, and there's a harvest that's happening right now. But just like the disciples, we could be busy thinking about, hey, I finally get to go mow my yard, summer's coming up, vacation, all fine stuff, all great stuff, good. But don't Don't let your earthly appetites eclipse you from seeing that there's a spiritual harvest that is happening right now among us. And I just want to applaud you guys for being part of this and thank you for inviting me into it. And I want as a leader to say, let's make sure we're opening our eyes to see what God's doing and let's keep inviting and loving and being the neighbor like the story that I told you. Another inspirational story that happened in a different domain of my life. I try to exercise a few times a week to stay healthy. And I have one fitness class that I do where I intentionally drive to a different area. And I intentionally go to a fitness class at a facility where I'm the only white person. And I do this on purpose for a number of reasons. One thing is I've realized in the last couple years that I don't know what it's like to be the minority person in a room. And so, I, you know, it's just something I do just once a week. I go spend that hour there. I need to exercise anyway, and it's really good for me to experience what it's like to be uh, the one person who doesn't look like everyone else. And uh, it's been a good environment. I've built a lot of good relationships. I've had a lot of fun, and it's a great workout. I feel like I'm going to die every time I go. <laughs> so this last week, I got there late, And it's one of these kind of group fitness classes where there's an instructor up front with a microphone, and everyone kind of comes in early and gets their spaces, and the room fills up. And I got there late. I had driven a ways to get there, and by the time I get there, the whole room is full, and they're already about five minutes into their thing with, you know, weights and push-ups and everything else. It's pretty much like having a boot camp instructor for uh, an hour. And I walk in, and I'm thinking, okay, I'll find a spot, and as my eyes scan, I realize there is no, there's no spot, And so I I decide, eh, I don't want to make a big scene. I'm just going to go walk on the treadmill or something. So I start walking out. I start going down the hall, and I hear the instructor, African-American, middle-aged woman, over the microphone, over the speakers say, John, get back in here. (laughs) (laughs) So I go back in. She's like, we'll make room for you. And as soon as she says that, another African-American middle-aged woman moves her stuff aside. Someone else goes and grabs the weights I need. Someone else goes and grabs the mat I need and the plates I need. They set this little place up for me, and it was just this like, hey, we want you here. We've got a place for you here. You're part of us. Even if you don't feel like you look like part of us, you're part of us. And when the class ended and we're all, you know, sweaty and feel like we're going to die and We're joking around. Another student from the class said, I was about to run down that hall and chase you down. Because if we're all in here dying, you're going to be in here dying too. (laughs) And as I was driving back from that workout, you know, emotionally, I went from feeling completely out of place and like I didn't belong and like I messed up by being late. In a moment, by a few people's actions, everything flipped to you do belong. We've got a place for you here. We want you here. And I thought, what, what an inspirational and positive story of the opportunity we have right now as a church when we're getting a parking spot or a seat, and we're walking into a place that's pretty familiar to us, and it's comfortable to us, but there's people coming in here who either physically or spiritually feel like, I don't know if I belong there, I'm not like all these people, and we have the opportunity every time someone says, is there a seat here, to be like, yeah, 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 sit here. We've got a space for you. We've got a place for you. And we can remember this when we're all trying to get out of here and the police officers are doing their best to manage the traffic and thousands of people are coming in while thousands of people are going out. And we can think of everyone we encounter the way that class embraced me. And think, think of everyone you see like they're one of these 1,200 who are just brand new baby Christians. Maybe they're not even a Christian yet. And by your interaction of whether or not you say, oh, that seat's saved. Or, hey, we've got to, we'll make space for you. We've got a spot for you. We get to be part of the harvest in the littlest ways and in the biggest ways when we say this is what our life is all about is reaping this harvest. Verse 36, Jesus says, Even now, the one who harvests or reaps draws a wage. In other words, there's a profit, there's a gain. This is a financial word. You, there's payment for doing God's work in his economy and in eternity. And there's also joy in this life when we do God's work. He says, So the one who harvests gets a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. So that the sower, that's the one who planted the seeds, and the reaper, that's the one who's getting the harvest, may be glad together. So when you see God's economy and you invest in it, there is joy and gladness in this life. There's eternal reward and there's a wage. I remember what it's like to be the harvester or the reaper. Because when I worked on an apple orchard in my summers growing up, um, very often the, the harvest was the best time. We'd have these huge bags that would go around our necks And it'd be on the front of you, and you'd climb up a ladder and you'd just fill it up with apples. And the guy who owned the orchard, a really neat guy, any apple that had any kind of imperfection, if you saw a worm in it or a bruise on it or any discoloration, he said, throw those on the ground. He didn't want those ones, he only wanted the best. And so my buddies and I, we had this thing. Anytime we'd pick an apple, you scan it really quick and you toss it in the bag. If it had an imperfection, what you'd do is you would throw it at your friend's head and you'd try to hit your (laughs) head. your friend in the head so you're up on a tall ladder working away and all of a sudden you get smacked on the side of the head and you just keep working until you can find one and smack them back but being the harvester being the one who who gathers the crops to me that's the most fun part of of a farming type job and you know something i've realized as i've realized this harvest that god is doing right now is that for 200 years christians in this area have been preparing the soil and planting seeds, and watering those seeds. For 30-some years before I came, Pastor Steve Reeves shepherded this community, loved this community. The soil's been prepared. The seeds are starting to grow up. And now it's us, church, it's on us to lift up our eyes and see there's a harvest. And if we're not careful, we could get so caught up with our own little lives that, that it could slip right through our fingers and Jesus says if you realize the harvest you'll be glad as you work verse 37 says and so the saying one sows and another reaps is true this is where we started sowing and reaping the principle's true and as a group of people sometimes you're the one who sows the seed sometimes you're the one who reaps the fruit but the joy and the eternal reward is for both the sower and the reaper and so verse 38 Jesus says I sent you to harvest or reap what you haven't worked for. And that's how I feel right now. Right now, what's happening in this church is the result of people who've come before us. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So what have we learned? Today's decisions determine tomorrow's treasures. Today's decisions determine tomorrow's treasures. This works in the physical realm we've talked about and this also works in the spiritual realm domain of your life works in your relationships it works in every domain of your life and i can't tell you in the physical realm when real estate's gonna crash or double i can't tell you when the price of gold per ounce is gonna triple or collapse i can't tell you what stocks to buy i am not an expert in this realm but i can tell you from the word of god that in this realm you can begin investing now in a class of assets that 70 years from now, if you add 70 years to your life, will still be available to you and bearing fruit for you, and that is people. People are the asset class that we need to have our eyes on. So next level investing is this. Don't let your earthly appetites eclipse your view of eternal opportunity. Nothing wrong with earthly appetites. Nothing wrong with Taco Bell. Nothing wrong with eating food. Nothing wrong with planning for retirement. Nothing wrong with working hard at your job. Nothing wrong with any of that. Just don't let that domain eclipse your view of the domain that is going to last for eternity. And right now is the time to buy in that domain. Right now is the time to invest in that domain. So here's our closing question. What will you decide to plant this week? so that you can harvest its fruit in the future. And there's these two categories, and I'd encourage you, depending on where you are in your life and what your needs are, to, to really zoom in on one or the other of these. Some of you, you're here and you are, you're way in debt. Every month you're spending more than you make, and you need to kind of get things in order. And you need, you know what? In the earthly physical realm, I need to start actually thinking about the future either saving for the kids for college or for retirement or whatever else. Or, you know what? I'm always too busy for my kids and if I'm honest about it, when my kids are adults and I actually want to hang out with them, I shouldn't be surprised if then they're too busy for me because what I sow, I'll reap and I can't control people but I can invest in this principle or how about in the eternal and in the spiritual realm. You can choose to take action today and I wanna tell you one last inspiring story. There was an anonymous group of people who were led by God, this was around Christmas time, they were led by God to pay off one of this church's mortgages. Uh, this is a significant sum of money. You know, it's, it's the amount of money that someone could buy an apartment complex or buy a whole bunch of acreage or something else. And God put it on their heart to invest in what God is doing here. And I love how they did it, that they wanted to stay anonymous. They didn't want anyone to know who they are as a group of people. And they invested in this here. And I've been thinking about them when I drive by this building and I see the parking lot full. I've been thinking, I wonder what they feel in their heart when they drive by and see the parking lot full. When they drive by and they know there are widows in that church who are being cared for because that church is there. There are people who are alcoholics or have other addictions who are coming into this church and finding freedom. There are marriages that are broken that are being restored. There are souls that were enslaved in sin and destined for hell that have found eternal life in Christ and now have peace in this life and eternal life. And every time they drive by that parking lot, they see something they've invested in and they see a parking lot full of cars where every car is a person who is growing closer to Christ. And I was thinking, I mean, I don't know everything about these people's lives, but I would guess they've probably got other investments. They've probably got other things. And the difference, you know, they don't have to pay any property taxes on this. They don't have to pay any upkeep. They've invested in something that has gone before them into the next life to bear eternal fruit because they got what Jesus was teaching today, which is it's about people. And whether it's our time or our money, our talents, our energy, if we'll invest it into connecting people to Jesus, then we're investing in something that has an eternal reward and also brings joy in this life. So my prayer for you today as you go out of here is just to think of what's one thing in the eternal realm or in the earthly realm where I need to start sowing consistent seeds so that I get the future that I want to get. Uh, Can we pray together for that?